Isaiah chapter 9 says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, I think that we're experiencing in our country an existential crisis uh, that's maybe different than anything we've ever experienced in the past. In past generations, people asked the question, is there anything in my life that would be so important, some cause that would be so important that would cause me to potentially risk my life for that cause? And many people answered that call, and some went to missions, some went to uh, serve our country, some went to other endeavors. And that was the fundamental question. But today we're asking ourselves a different question. And that question is not, is there anything willing to die for? It's, is there anything willing, that we're willing to live for? Is there anything that's worth living for? Back in June, uh, there was a study that was done and then it was published in August. And in this study, they found that of the people they surveyed, 11% of the people had contemplated, seriously contemplated suicide in the last 30 days. Now that was just 30-day window and 11%, one out of every 10 people, had seriously contemplated suicide. Among adults, young adults, 18 to 24, that number was 25%, one in four adults. And we're not talking about just, you know, having a thought going through your mind. It's like seriously contemplating killing yourself. 30-day snapshot, and if you extrapolate that out to the entire year, the numbers, I think, would be much, much higher. We're having a crisis in our culture, and, and what is causing this crisis? You know, there's a lot of different potential causes. Who knows all of the causes? We can see a number of things that could contribute it, to it, like the removal of God from the public square, maybe the depersonalization of of society where we don't have uh, human interaction and human relationships like we, we once did. There's a lot of different factors in, involved, and then this pandemic has kind of accelerated all of those things. You know, it's not like the p pandemic created it, but it accelerated these things. But beneath the surface, I think really what the issue is, is a hopelessness, a despair. This feeling that maybe there isn't a better future. Maybe things will never change. Maybe things will never get better. In a powerful article called Dying of Despair, psychiatrist Aaron Caridi observed the startling rise in deaths from suicide and drug overdoses. 
He points to a number of long-term studies that have analyzed the difference between high-risk patients who survive and those who die by suicide. Here's his conclusion. He said, over a 10-year span, it turns out that one factor most strong, was most strongly predictive of suicide. It's not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he is rich or poor. The most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. He says we cannot live without hope. In early 1952, in London, was one of the greatest ecological disasters in the history of that city. Uh, there were a number of events that conspired to allow this uh, disaster to happen. One of them was called uh, an anti-cyclone weather pattern. Now, if you have any meteorological friends, you can ask them what that means. I tried to look it up, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But generally, the effect of it is that there's no wind. So there's no wind in London, and back then, uh, they didn't have natural gas or propane or even oil to burn for fuel. They used coal, and often a very low-quality coal. And so it was exceptionally cold during that time frame. It was foggy. And also, you have this anti-cyclone weather pattern, so there's no wind. And so people are just burning coal, burning coal, burning coal to stay warm. And what it's doing is it's creating this cloud over the city. And eventually, it got so bad that there's this darkness that covers the entire city. It got so bad in some parts of the city that you couldn't even see maybe a couple feet in front of you. The thing that was amazing about this was people weren't really that alarmed by it. They had seen smog before, they were used to pollution, and so they didn't think much of it. They'd never seen something quite as bad as this, but they'd experienced smog before. And so they didn't do anything, they just kind of waited for it to pass, and in the process, thousands of people ended up losing their lives. I, I believe that today we're experiencing exceptional darkness. Sometimes it feels like we can't see just even a few free feet ahead of us what the future is going to hold. And we feel helpless like there's nothing that we can do and we're just waiting for this cloud of darkness to pass over us. The passage that we just read in the book of Isaiah, they were also walking through a time of darkness. It says in the text, the people walked in darkness, they dwelt in the land of deep darkness. Now, all of us, I think, are in different places today. Some of us here are clinging to hope even in the midst of difficult and hard times. And maybe today we just need some encouragement to continue the fight of faith. Maybe we just need some encouragement that there is hope for tomorrow. Some of us, maybe we've given in to that hopelessness or despair. And maybe we need to be reminded today that there is another way. That there is hope that's found in the baby born at Christmas time. Others of us, maybe we're kind of teetering back and forth between despair and hope. And one day we're hopeful, the next day we're depressed and, and filled with despair. And maybe we need something to just kind of push us over the edge in the right direction. It's interesting throughout history, or at least recent history, when our country goes through difficult times, it tends to be that the birth rate goes down which kind of makes sense because, you know, if there's a lot of uncertainty, less people are bringing children into the world. But when we look at the scriptures, what's interesting is that during difficult, dark times, what often do God does is he causes a baby to be born. 
We see this in the life of Abraham. We see this uh, when Isaac is born. We see this when uh, Joseph is born to Jacob. We see this with Samson being born, John the Baptist, and then with Jesus. Children are a sign of hope. There's a, they're a sign that there is a future, that there is a tomorrow. Last year, it's November or maybe uh, late October, my grandfather was having a, a lot of health difficulties and um, he had a heart attack and I think a stroke as well and he was in the hospital in Buffalo General and he was uh, really not doing very well. Um, and it was uh, difficult for uh, the family because, you know, people would go to visit him and, and I know my dad and my, some of my aunts and uncles, they'd go there just about every day and didn't know what was going to happen. It just seemed like uh, he was going in the wrong direction in the ICU, and, and each day was kind of touch and go. Meanwhile, Stephanie and I are having a baby at Sister's Hospital, just a couple miles away from, um, from the other hospital. And so my aunt and uncle, who had been going there every day, going to, to visit my grandfather just about every day, they come over to visit our son. And I'll never forget what my uncle said as he and, and, and my aunt were holding baby Paul. He looked at me and said, we, we really needed this. And I knew exactly what he, he, he meant. He didn't know what the future held. It seemed like he was in this place of darkness, not knowing what was going to happen to my grandfather. And he needed some sign of hope. Thankfully, my grandfather ended up doing better and turning the corner in the right direction. But he needed that picture of hope in that moment. And I think maybe some of us today, we need that picture of hope that's provided in a baby born in a manger at Bethlehem. I think the Christmas story is the reminder that there is hope, that there is a tomorrow. J.I. Packer once said this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. So in the passage, again, that we read tonight, the people of Israel were walking in darkness, in this deep darkness. What was this darkness that they were walking through? Well, it's kind of difficult to kind of date the individual chapters of Isaiah, but uh, this particular uh, oracle of Isaiah is believed that it was spoken or, or written during the time of Ahaz. Ahaz's reign in, in Israel was a very, very dark time for uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, who, who, of whom he was the king over. It was a time of mirror, uh, spiritual and moral darkness. It's described in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 16, this way. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So he does these abominable sacrifices, sacrifices his own son. Uh, not only that, uh, Syria and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel were attacking him. And so what would a king do who was following after the Lord 
if they were if he was under a foreign attack. He would call out to God, but Ahaz doesn't do that. He calls out to the Assyrians. And to make matters worse, he takes from the temple of God, he takes the gold and silver from the temple that belonged to God, and he sends it to the king of Assyria and says, Come help us. Basically, we'll be your servants. And so they, he trusts in Assyria rather than trusting in God. Not only that, he goes to Assyria, sees the temple that's there, which is, by the way, to a foreign god. And he says, I want a temple like this. And so he speaks to his priests and says, hey, follow the pattern of the Assyrians who worship these false gods, and I want you to make our temple like the Assyrian temple. And so essentially what he's doing is he's leading the people of Israel in idolatry. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a faithful Israelite during that day? You had been a subject of some good kings like Jotham, Uzziah, people who generally followed the Lord and did some good things, and now you have Ahaz, who's just kind of turning everything on its head, that's leading the people of Israel in the worship of idols. And what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. And there's this spiritual and moral darkness that hangs over the country. I don't think it's too much unlike our culture today. The things that are wrong are right. The things that are right are wrong. The fact that more people disapprove of using plastic straws than disapprove of abortion. That you're allowed to say anything you like as long as you don't hold a biblical view of marriage. And if you do so then you're intolerant and a bigot. That it's okay in some states to go to a casino, but it's not okay to go to church. It's not safe. But it's safe to go into a casino. Our, our culture pushes women's rights, equality between men and women, and that's a great thing. But on the other token, what they do is they teach our young daughters to use their bodies to be provocative, to get ahead in life. Things that 50 years ago were called pornography, now is primetime television. What's right is wrong, what's wrong is right. And just like in Israel, there was this spiritual darkness, and there's a spiritual darkness in our culture as well. And so that's the climate that Isaiah is speaking to, the reign of uh, Ahaz. But what's interesting is how this darkness kind of telescopes throughout Scripture. And what I mean by that is Isaiah speaks into this darkness, but there was also going to be darkness that came in the future. Just a few short decades after this, there's going to be a different kind of darkness. The Assyrians, whom they had tried to, Ahaz had tried to win their favor, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to defeat the Israelites and lead them off into exile. And the Israelites are not going to have their own homeland, and that's a different kind of darkness. Then after that, they're going to be allowed to return to uh, the nation of Israel, they're going to be able to rebuild, but they're going to be under the foreign dominion of the Romans. God isn't going to speak for uh, several hundred years through the prophets. It's another kind of darkness. And, and as we look at human history and we look at the scriptures, there are these cycles of darkness and cycles of renewal. And the reason there's so much darkness is because of sin. Because Adam and Eve first sinned, darkness came into the world. And as human beings, as we sin and inherit that sin nature, we inherit those cycles of darkness. 
But in the midst of the darkness, Isaiah speaks of a baby who is to come, who is to change everything. And I believe in the midst of the darkness, I think there's four questions that we often ask ourselves when we're experiencing darkness. And I believe that this passage answers all four of those questions. All the doubts, all the issues we have when we experience darkness, this passage answers it. So what are those questions we often ask? The first question we ask is, will I have enough? Will my family have enough? That's the question that many of us have asked in the midst of this dark time we've been experiencing. Will I have enough if my spouse loses, my jo loses his job or her job? Will I have a enough if I lose my job? Will I have enough if my business is forced to close? Will I have enough if I get sick and have to go into the hospital? That's a question we all have asked at, so, at some level. Will I have enough to provide for myself and for my family? It's a question that nearly everyone asks when they're in the midst of darkness. Isaiah answers that question in verse 3. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This verse speaks of the prosperity of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, you never have to worry about if you're going to have enough. Because Jesus will always be enough for us. In want or in plenty, Jesus will provide for us. He will be there for us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's working all things for our good, for His glory. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much worth much more than they? And which of you, by, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So that's the first question we ask in the midst of darkness. Will we have enough? The second question we ask is, will I have peace? The ancient Jews longed for peace, and they called that peace shalom. We translate it as peace, but it also uh, is much more than the peace as we understand it. It meant physical, emotional, spiritual wholeness. Being satisfied and being complete in all areas of life. That's the peace that we all long for. And yet in the darkness, we wonder if that peace will ever come. We hear of wars and rumors of wars and threats all around us. We see this increasing polarization in our culture where one uh, group of people thinks one way and sees reality one way and another group of people sees reality another way. You see, again, the emotional uh, and, and mental issues that many are dealing with, just about all of us are dealing with to some extent. We see social unrest, riots, and we wonder if we will ever have peace. Can we have peace in the midst of this darkness? And yet in verse 5, Isaiah speaks of freedom for the captives. Of a time when war will be no more. Verse 5 says, For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah sees a kingdom in which warfare has been eradicated, where peace reigns, where shalom encompasses God's people. So we ask, will I have peace? Third question we ask is, who will defend us? 
In the midst of darkness, we ask ourselves, who will defend us or who will lead us out of the darkness? I think that's why we've seen in our country so many people who have voted recently, maybe who have never voted before. Because we want someone to lead us out of the darkness. Republicans say it was you know, one person, Democrats say another. And those candidates spent millions of dollars to convince us that they were the right ones, that they were the ones to lead us out of darkness, but neither one can lead us out of the darkness. Neither one of us can lead us into the light. Yet Isaiah speaks of a ruler who will bring light to the darkness. This king is a different king. He's a different type of ruler. The scriptures say in Isaiah that he's a humble king. He says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He's not a king who sits up in a throne room detached from his subjects. He's a God who leaves the throne room of heaven and comes down and is born in a feeding trough. It speaks of the humility of God. It says in the text that he's the wonderful counselor. A counselor in the ancient world was someone who had uh, great plans and schemes. You know, we think about a counselor and it's someone to kind of talk to and work through some things. But in that day and age, a counselor was kind of a strategist. That They knew the right plans. They knew the right strategies to take in life. And our king knows the way out of darkness. He knows how to lead us out of darkness. It says in the text that he was the mighty God. This king would be the mighty God. When he's referred to as the mighty God, he's referred to as the God Yahweh who was always faithful to God's people. He's the mighty God who spoke the worlds into existence and creation. He's the mighty God who led his people with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Led them through the wilderness, led them through the Red Sea, parted the waters. He's the same mighty God who caused the, the walls of Jericho to fall down. And he's the same mighty God who would, be raised, who, who would be put to death and raised from the grave. It says in the text that he's the mighty father. What are fathers meant to do? Fathers are meant to provide, to defend, to sacrifice. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He provides, he defends, he sacrifices. And we see that on the cross as he gave his life for each and every one of us so the darkness would not consume us. Finally, he's the prince of peace. He brings peace by vanquishing his enemies once and for all. One day there will be peace because Jesus has no rival. He has no equal. None can stand before him. And so when we're aligned with him, we're aligned with victory. Because he's the king of kings and lord of lords, the prince of peace. He leads us to the peace that all of our souls long for. So who will defend us in the darkness? It's a baby born in the Bethlehem. His name is Jesus. Who will defend us? Final question. What will the future hold? In the darkness, sometimes it's hard to see, again, beyond our immediate circumstances. It's hard to see more than a few feet in front of us what's going to happen. Sometimes the darkness overcomes not just our present, but what we perceive to be our future. And yet the text tells us that this king is a king who will reign forever and ever. Verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 17 says this, 
Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Our king will reign forevermore. Ladies and gentlemen, there's hope in the midst of darkness. We can live in the light even during dark times because we serve the king who's conquered the darkness. We don't have to give in to despair. We don't have to give in to the darkness because Jesus has conquered the darkness and the darkness will not overcome us. Years ago, Charles Colson and uh, some of his associates went to Ecuador to talk to the president there about uh, starting a prison ministry there because Charles Colson had been in prison and he uh, had a, has a worldwide uh, prison ministry. And so they go in and they meet President Borgia, his name was, and uh, they're sitting in this you know beautiful palace or wherever it was and they're sitting on these nice uh, comfy chairs and uh, almost immediately when they sat down, President Borgia started telling his story of how he had been a prisoner himself. Before he was president, he was kind of a fighter for democracy, and the government at the time decided they were going to crack down on democracy, and so they rounded him up and threw him in prison, and they threw him in this prison that was completely dark. No windows, no lights, nothing. And so he sat there alone in complete darkness for days. By the third day, he was just starting to go crazy. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to not see any light for that amount of time. And so he's sitting in his cell, and he hears a noise. He, he can't see anything, but he hears a noise, and he hears the door of his cell opening. And he hears somebody come in and kind of rustling around and making noise, and this man came to the corner of his room, and again, he's making noise, and Borgia is not really sure what's happening, what he's doing. Then he shuffles out, shuts the door, and then a couple minutes later, all of a sudden, these rays of light just shone through the room. This man, whoever he was, had decided, and maybe even taken his own life in his hands, to go in there and connect the light that had been damaged so that this prisoner would have light. This had a profound effect on President Borgia's prison, uh, prison sentence. He says this, from that moment on, my imprisonment had meaning because at least I could see. We live in difficult and perilous times, but we can see what's coming. We see the King of Glory coming on the clouds, erasing darkness once and for all. We can live in the light during difficult times because we serve the king who conquered the darkness. If there's anyone here or anyone listening online who's never entered into a relationship with Christ, you can experience the hope of Christmas today. Because all of our sins create darkness. Jesus came to the world and lived a sinless life and he died on the cross. And what does the text tell us in the Gospels? That as he was dying, darkness came over the whole land. He's thrown into a dark, cold tomb. And then three days later, the sun shone. Jesus got up from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all. 
And because he defeated the darkness, we can live in the light. We can have a relationship with God. And through that relationship with God, all of our lives can be changed. It changes our relationships. It changes how we view life. If you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, you can do so today. The Bible says the way that you do that is by faith. Faith is simply trusting in someone. It's kind of like, you know, if you were two couples or two people are getting married, they come together on their wedding day and they say, I want to do life with this person. And that's kind of what we're doing when we enter into a relationship with God. We're like, I, I want to follow after you. I want to do life with you. I don't might not know the answer to every question that I ever had. I might still have some doubts, but I want to do life with you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you died for me. If you'd like to do that, I'd love to talk to you more about that after the service or uh, maybe even this Christmas. Spend some time after the service just talking to God and inviting Him to come into your life. If you're a believer today, don't give up. Don't give in to despair. Don't let the darkness win. Your king has conquered darkness. He brings joy and provisions in his wake. He will always be enough for us. He brings freedom for the captives. He brings the peace that our souls long for. He is a humble king. He is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. The Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father who sacrifices for His children. Ladies and gentlemen, He is enough for us. And the darkness has no claim on us. Because our King defeated the light. Or defeated the darkness. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your light shone at Christmas time. That you weren't content to stay in heaven on your throne. That you loved us so much that you came to the earth. That you humbled yourself to become a little baby so that we might have hope. So that we might have life. So that darkness would not overtake us. Lord, for anybody here or listening online who's never come into a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they turn their lives over to you. That they would say in their heart, God, I want to do life with you. I want to follow you with all of my heart. For those, the rest of us, those who are believers, Lord, there are so many temptations to give in to despair today. The darkness is deep but your light is stronger. And Lord, we pray that we would rely on you during this time, that your light would overcome the darkness and that we would hold on to the truth that the darkness will not defeat the light. We'd look forward to the time when you come back to make all things right. Lord, you're a good God. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for coming to meet with us so that we could have life. In Christ's name I pray.